Cheers! Kampai! Salute! Gambe! Skol! Prost! Hello, and welcome to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where I tell folk tales and folklore from around the globe. So sit back, grab yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of the Drunken Storyteller. Snakes, serpents, some babies, and uh, some swords. I've not really decided on the title of this yet. It will appear in the uh, title of the episode, wherever you view it. Listen to it, sorry. Not viewing. There's no viewing on podcasts. Why do all my episodes seem to evolve around babies and bad things happening to babies? Yeah, it's it's getting a little bit weird. Um, I promise maybe the next episode I don't think has any babies in it. Um, I promise. I hope. I think. Maybe. So yeah, this episode we shall be, or I shall be, we you listeners and me, we will be looking at, um, I've put here folklore and myths of snakes and serpents, but it's kind of more mythology of snakes and serpents and all the S's. I'll try not to kind of elongate the S's each time I say snakes and serpents, because it might set off some people's weird phobias of sounds. Yeah, so I'm going to do a bit of preamble, then I'm going to do preamble and, well not preamble, I'm going to do preamble. Then I'm going to do a bit of discussion on kind of mythology of snakes. And then there's only a short story at the end of it with a little bit of discussion about the story. This is probably going to be a much shorter episode than last week and the week before. Basically, I'm lazy. (laughs) I'm feeling lazy at the moment. I wanted to put an episode out, but I didn't want to do too much work behind it. So that's why it's short. But yeah, so there's going to be a lot of mutterings, musings and butcherings and sarcasm before we get to the story. So yeah, let's get into it. So uh, as you know, I like to drink while we tell these stories and do all this stuff. Uh, hence the name of the Drunken Storyteller. So tonight I am drinking Asahi Super Dry, a nice Japanese beer. Uh, I got the last uh, set of bottles from the co-op down the road from me because it's got warm here and all the fuck nuggets are out in the park, ignoring all the social distancing rules and hugging and kissing and licking each other in the sun and drinking all the beer dry from the co-op. So this was literally like one of the last few boxes of beer in the entire building. Thank you, you fucking fuck nuggets. If you carry on doing this, we're going to go back into another lockdown. Yeah, I'm not bitter at all. You... Anyway, back to Japan for the story, as hence the reason I'm drinking Asahi. It also, uh, there we... some of you, if you've followed my Twitter feed, um, you might have noticed that I've received recently a load of books on Japanese folklore, myths and demons and stuff um, from a Kickstarter. But this episode has nothing to do with that. I actually thought about doing this episode a couple of weeks ago, before all this arrived. I've known the story for a while, so it's always something I've wanted to tell. It just happens that the week I've decided to do this episode is the week that I got a lot of PDFs of Japanese folklore. So, eh, read into that what you will. I've also noticed that when I'm doing the editing of these things, that I'm coming across quite quiet at times, so I'm trying to be a lot closer to my mic which also appears to be giving you a lot of popping sounds because I'm slack and don't have one of those, um, whatever they are, those like mesh popping screens in front of my mic, um, which I probably should do because it'll save me about 7 million hours of editing to get rid of those pops. So uh, a few more bits of rambling uh, that actually have naff all to do with folklore, but kind of things I want to talk about because... You all want to know what's happening in my life, don't you? You all listen to this not just for the folklore, just you want to hear me ramble about crap, basically, isn't it? That's that's why you're all here. I know you got 
So yeah, the, the big piece of news, um, that again you might have seen on my Facebook and my Twitter account, is that I have stupidly entered the London Marathon. Yeah, my, uh, my fat ass is uh, going to attempt to run 42 kilometres in October. That's going to be fun. So I have a place and it's already all paid for and, and ready. And I'm running for a charity called No Man Is An Island. These are a HPV and anal cancer foundation subcharity, and they're run by a friend of mine from uni. Their goal is to end 5% of cancers worldwide that are caused by the HPV, the human papilloma virus. Um, but HPV is it's a fully preventable um, cancer, and it has a vaccine, and we just need to get out there and, and, and spread the word and, and make people aware that it's out there, and it is a very preventable form of cancer. Um, so if we can get everyone to have the vaccine, that's like 5% of cancer. And that's that's a vast number of people not having cancer and issues with it. So that's kind of cool. Um, the thing that I've learned as well, kind of as I've started doing this, is that it doesn't only affect girls and it can affect boys as well. So it's not just about kind of making sure all the girls at high schools get their vaccines, but it's also about letting boys know that it's not they're at risk as well. So spreading knowledge and spreading the word that yeah we can prevent this it's fully preventable we can stop it so it's not something that we need to go out and and research more it's it's more of a spread the word get everybody jabbed and and save people save lives it's all a good thing yeah i'm running for them i am training at the moment i can run half a marathon i've done it a couple of times i may be old and not exactly marathon running shape shall we say um I can do it and I'll build it up. I'm going to bug you every now and then, you guys who listen, to donate to me. Um, I will leave links in the description for the charity and my Just Giving page. And if you can give me one pound or 50 quid, doesn't matter. It all goes to the amazing cause. So give what you can, if you can, and when you can. Um, I've got, obviously, up until, I've actually got up until the end of the year to raise the, the funds that we need to do it. So um, if you can, it's greatly appreciated. Also, every now and then I'll post stuff on Facebook and Twitter about how things are going. There's already a video of me on Facebook trying to run and talk and explain things. It's not a pretty sight. Um, I don't recommend going and watching that. But you can do if you want to. Watch me get hot and sweaty as I run around Manchester. What else have we got? Other news that's happened recently. Um, yeah, there we go. Warhammer 40k Wrath and Glory RPG. Uh, I wrote a scenario for them that is now out. Uh, it's called Grim Harvest and it's part of the Litanies of the Lost book, one of the four stories in there. So that's kind of cool that I'm now a solo writer in the Warhammer 40k universe. But it also means I'm free from writing contracts for RPGs. So um, if there's anybody out there listening who is in a company for RPGs and wants another freelance writer, please let me know. Please. I like doing horror, folk horror, Nordic horror stuff, and, and, and like also, yeah, Chronicles of Darkness, God Machine stuff I've done as well. So yeah, that's cool. Um, Vessin is going to be starting soon, we hope. Much hype on that one. I keep saying this, and it's probably, we've got a rough date now, so maybe looking at actual first session zero, end of April. Um, and I'm also hoping to start up some more streaming on my own Twitch for RPGs rather than I've stopped kind of streaming me talking crap about folklore on my streaming stuff so um, I'm going to be setting up more RPG games there so if anybody who has experience with streaming RPGs and is interested drop me a message on a Twitter or something my first mini campaign is probably going to be four to six sessions four to six three hour sessions and hopefully will be on 
running things from the flood from free league games uh probably based either in cumbria dark cumbria darkest cumbria or in the peak district i've got an idea of a story already i think i've got a few people i'd like to play just need to reach out to them i know some of them are interested but we'll see how that goes you didn't come here to listen to me to waffle on about games you came here to listen to me talk about folklore and stuff possibly i don't know you might have come here to listen to me waffle about games you're all weird because you actually listen to me i don't get it but i do it and you listen so therefore i must keep doing it on that front i do i do all this all by myself do a lot of research into this stuff spend a lot of time editing things and i don't get any money for it i do this all for free and all for fun so i hope you all guys appreciate this i don't have a patreon i don't have any of that stuff um in fact i actually pay for my subscription to um podbean which is where i put everything up there so this costs me to do this also obviously my raving alcoholism costs me as well because i drink each time we do this Count yourselves lucky that you're getting this all for free and I don't actually ask for any money through Patreon or anything like that. But if you are interested in the Patreon, let me know and it might happen. Not sure what I'd do with it, but or if I'd motivated enough to actually do anything with a Patreon, but still. Let's get on to some snakes and serpents. So originally I was gonna do this just on snakes. But I add I added the um, serpents into this because in certain areas they do seem to be kind of an interge- interchangeable quantity. Much like we can also see a crossover with serpents and dragons. So you kind of get this weird thing where you've got a snake, a serpent, and a dragon, and they're all kind of one thing, but they're not the same thing, and, and it's all a bit weird. You'll see you'll see a lot of this kind of as we go through as to kind of where these kind of overlaps occur. One thing I am going to say, I am not going to look at snake charmers, snake handlers, and the nutty people in the US who kind of use them in churches and stuff, or connections to kind of modern religion and practices like that. Um, I don't know enough on that. I don't really feel comfortable discussing that, so, um, yeah, not doing that. Also, uh, there is a shit ton of uh, stuff on snakes and serpents out there um, in folklore and myths to cover, so, uh, yeah, there's probably going to be a fair few episodes on this. Uh, Obviously, we've already seen the the dragon episode. Um, There's way more than I can cover in a single episode that is going to be between half an hour and an hour long. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely come back to this. Um, I think as I've already said, I'm probably, this is going to be, well, I don't know if I've already said it or not, I can't remember. Anyway, um, this episode is definitely going to be looking more at the mythology of snakes and serpents rather than folklore. So we're going to, we're going to delve into some mythology from around the world of snakes and serpents and other beasties that kind of relate to that when i was kind of when i thought about this idea of doing snakes and it's mainly because of the story i wanted to tell that i thought how can how can i make this story into an episode and give you more than just the story because it's not a long story so i thought how about we talk about snakes and serpents and stuff and so i kind of thought well at a base level i kind of know things about snakes and serpents within mythology and stuff and they generally seem to be from my own preconceptions without it's just literally a very surface thing. Um, they they tend to kind of be associated with evil, and I kind of I, I blame. Um, I've written this elsewhere in my notes, so I'm probably jumping ahead a lot here. But I I, I blame was it I blame the Bible because that's something I'm about to talk about, and I also blame uh, a movie. What the name of the movie? Jungle Book because of 
evil hypnotizing snake that I forgot the name of. It's not Shere Khan because that's the tiger. The snake who tries to hypnotize Mowgli. Oh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Anyway, there were these preconceptions out there that snakes are generally, within mythology and folklore, evil. So I, I, I specifically thought, well, can I? Can we find some ideas of good snakes and serpents within folklore and mythology? So, yeah, we, we, I've got a few of those. Um, but let's start off with that evil side of things, uh, with the classic of being the serpent in the Garden of Eden who was tempting Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. The serpent there obviously being a representation of the devil and Satan and evil and all the wicked things that God doesn't want you to do because God is boring. So that, that happened. Snake came along and we won't get into the devil mythology and the Satan mythology behind uh, the connections there. So you've got that, you've got that one. We can also see in um, the North Myths with Jormungandr or Jormungandra just to annoy people who like to say it properly Jormungandra 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 yeah anyway <laughs> the the Midgard world serpent so um, he's one of uh, Loki's children from having from from his wife that he boinked his wife being Angrabotha the Jotun from Jotunheim. His children, the other children, you've got Fenrir, who's the wolf, uh, who bites off Tyr's hand, and his daughter is Hel. That's H-E-L. And it's kind of where we get the, the concept of Hel from in Christianity. So but we'll we'll cover that uh, maybe a later date. I don't know. Maybe, possibly. But yeah, so uh, Jormungandra was... Uh, he grew so large, Odin threw him into the, the oceans because who wants a snake rolling around in heaven? or Asgard, uh, so Odin threw him into the oceans um, and he grew so large while he was living in the oceans that he encircled the world um, and as, as he grew so big he decided to eat his own tail because that's what you do you grow big and go, oh look, there's my tail uh, that looks tasty, I'll eat it and so he did so in the prose edda it is, it's stated that when Jormungandr uh, releases its tail Ragnarok, the twilight of the gods not the end of the world, the end of the gods to some extent, but oh, we'll 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 talk about that later because um, I know that will probably cause a few arguments in in out there. It's not it's not technically the end of the world; it's the twilight of the gods. But yeah, uh, so when he releases his tail, Ragnarok will begin. Jormungandr is also uh, one of the most well-known examples of uh, a Roboros or our Rob or Ross for the Red Dwarf fans out there. Nah. Connections to modern culture. Red Dwarf's modern. It's the 80s. No, it's not. It's the 90s. It's modern, goddammit. It's not 30 years old. God, that's depressing. Just to depress people out there. Yeah, Red Dwarf was like about 30 odd years old. <laughs> I'm not old. I don't like thinking about I'm not. An, I wasn't born at the beginning of the 80s. <laughs> Bit of procrastination there about where I am in my life. Ah, ah, right, Ouroboros. Ouroboros is um, another kind of well-known serpent that um, it kind of has many different connections with religion and philosophy and thought processes and folklore and mythology and things. Um, Ouroboros originates from Egypt, um, and it's either a dragon or a serpent eating its own tail, hence the connection to Jormungandr. 
It came into Western mysticism, myths and legends via Greek magical traditions, and in, then from there it moved into Gnosticism, Hermeticism, Hermeticism, I can't say that word, and alchemy. And it's often seen to represent the eternal cycle of renewal, the cycle of life, death and rebirth. And it has some connections to the transmigration of the soul. Um, and this is uh, seen in other other beliefs about snakes because of the, the shedding of the skin of the snake. And this also kind of comes into that whole idea of rebirth. Like a, a snake sheds its skin so you it, it becomes new again. And it also, in some religions, that creates to immortality or creates that links to immortality. Like the snake is rebirthing itself and so therefore snakes are immortal because they're shedding their old life their old skin and becoming new again. So in some religions, a snake munching its own butt, or, t- or tail as technically the, the, the thing is, uh, it's seen as a symbol of fertility. Uh, we're not going to delve into that one. There's also connections to, yeah, other things in that. Um, <laughs> so um, I should probably one day maybe look into Ouroboros in a bit more detail because it is quite an interesting topic and it is there's some really cool stuff in there and there's like connections to Jungian psychology and stuff like that. Uh, but there's also, as I say, there's far too much stuff to go into in this episode, and there's far too many other things in there. But there you go. Uh, so Ouroboros, it's not technically an evil snake um, or an evil serpent. It's actually got connections to some cool stuff and some good good things. As I delved into this topic um, and was kind of looking more specifically towards the the good side of snakes i i did discover that there are actually quite quite a lot of um good non-evil snake tails out there um but there's also some obvious evil serpents and snakes out there so again kind of delving back into the bible and kind of connections to uh, my dragon episode i did there where i did mention this we've got the leviathan and this as i say crosses over with dragons um it is very much more a serpent um, than a specific dragon or a snake. It is a water serpent, and we have, as I mentioned before, te- uh, parallels with Timat in the Mesopotamian myths. And I will will delve into these at a later date because the Leviathan and Tiamat and Mesopotamian tales are phenomenal. But yeah, these two are very much arch bastards. Leviathan also has connections to Beermoth and is sometimes shown as the female water monster version of Beermoth, and Beermoth lives in the deserts. But he's just seen as a large creature, not really a serpent or a snake. Um, but yeah, both um, Le- the Leviathan and Mirmoth uh, appear in later Jewish traditions and they are slain and become food for the righteous at the end times. Um, and both Leviathan and Mirmoth were made by God, so that's a bit weird. But it's also a bit weird that why would you want to eat primeval chaos monsters at the end times? Because... I'm sure that like powers are meant to pass on and stuff. So if you eat something primevally chaotic, chaotically evil, doesn't that then kind of rub on to you? So therefore, it's I don't know. Anyway, not sure how it all works. I suppose it depends on the cosmology and the religions that you're looking at. Anyway, back to serpents because that's what we're meant to be talking about. Sorry, I went for a bike ride today. Um, I've not been on my bike since December, so I decided, oh, it's nice and sunny, and I don't want to sit in the park with everybody else out there in the world, and I want to go training, but I've got a slight injury in my ankle, so what can I do? I'll go for a bike ride. Went for a bike ride. Really friggin' hot. Um, Probably didn't take enough water with me. A little bit dehydrated. 
So this this beer's hitting me pretty hard. So this is going. It's a bit random this episode. I'm kind of getting very distracted as I do things. Also, this is the first time I've spoken this for about two days. Yeah, using my voice. It's all fun. Right, where am I in my nose? I, I actually know now. Where are we? What have we just talked about? Leviathan. That one. There we go. Uh, so yeah, back to serpents. Uh, there's um. There is a lot of lore, and there's a lot of mythology around these, um, as I keep saying. that it's hard to know what to include and what not to include in this episode. So, as it appears that I'm kind of going down the big names, uh, we're going to continue going down these big names. So, um, as I say, it's, this is definitely a mythology episode, not a folklore episode. I will look into folklore and, and like, smaller local-scale tales than these kind of world religious mythology tales at some point because um, again there were, there were millions of them out there and they're all really cool but yeah snakes and serpents in general mythology is kind of where we're going now um, and so what we see with that is across most cultures um, whether they're ancient up to modern cultures we, we see that snakes kind of represent similar ideas as we've already talked about especially it all kind of stems from this Ouroboros idea as well we see the transmutation or kind of more specifically transformation of either the soul or the or, or or the physical being there's connections to healing there's connections to fertility um there are connections with that fertility to the um mouth eating the tail eating the butt draw from that what you will and as we said as well, there's also the renewal idea as well, and immortality. There's also a lot of connection to water, and there's a lot of connection to wisdom. Um, and many of these ideas kind of stem from the alien, and probably what in the ancient civilizations was seen as incomprehensible, way that the snakes move and behave. Uh, they have unblinkering, un unblinkering, unblinking eyes and a flickering tongue that's kind of seen as searching and seeking and looking and tasting and, and slithering in a kind of malevolent, intelligent way that is different to human thought processes. And so there's always been this kind of, like even when we see within, within the Bible and the kind of temptation of Eve story, the snake is not stupid. It is intelligent. It knows how to make Eve betray God. So there's this connection here with intelligence. So that's kind of a, an interesting thing there. Um, sometimes they're also seen as good and wise creatures. Um, good, wise creatures rather than evil, malevolent creatures. Uh, but what we're going to look at now is we're kind of going to move on to... This is it's kind of starting to move now into more eastern regions, eastern, eastern areas, and we'll end up in Japan at the end when I tell my story. But snakes are connected with quite a few creation myths, um, and these make a bit more sense than the oddness of the Nordic myth where a cow licks an ice cube. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing apparently. The cow licks an ice cube to get salt, and it creates a human being. Go figure. We've all, um, One of the creation myths we've already seen in previous episodes, it's kind of a bit hard to see where the creation myth connection comes from, but when Vitra was killed by Indra, when Vitra dies, it releases the oceans, and this release of the waters, the primordial waters, um, it allows life to flourish. And so we see there um, kind of a connection to a creation myth of humanity, rather than a creation myth of the world. 
we see a creation myth that life can then flourish and then humanity then come out of that um, but also you're getting water back into the land after it's all been sucked up so the flowing of water can create land and create scenery and, and geology and things also um, within the same within the same canon and the same um, hin- Hindu mythology Vishnu sleeps on the world serpent Shisha um, uh, whose yawn causes earthquakes so we kind of see a cre- um, not so much a creation myth but kind of the connection with the formation of land I'm not sure whether you can count Shisha as a bad snake here because Shisha sleeps on top of somebody else or something else that I can't remember the name of at the moment and every time that something else moves Shisha who is asleep yawns uh, and yawns and, and it causes earthquakes and you can kind of see something similar within the, the giant koi in the Bay of um, Tokyo when the koi moves we get earthquakes and so we kind of see this connection with creatures moving and the land moving uh, staying here in the east as I say uh, snakes and serpents do take a massive role in oriental mythology absolutely massive they are so prevalent within Chinese, Korean, Japanese, Southeast Asian mythology that it's just you can it's you throw a penny and you'll hit seven million snakes <laughs> so we're not going to obviously delve into those because we'll run out of time and I'm talking a lot and just kind of like spamming you with crap at the moment so uh, let's look at a creation myth from Chinese mythology um, the brilliant thing about Chinese mythology um, and just China itself in a way is that there are so as I say there are so many kind of tales because you get local tales from the tribes and the peoples that make up China China is like this mass it's a massive country that is made up of many 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 different cultures um, that on the surface kind of all appear to be the same but when you delve into them they are so vastly different so so vastly different different foods different dialects different folkloric traditions and different things like that so it's just it's an absolute melting pot of some amazing cultural identities which is unfortunately it's being eroded away due to the state and kind of prejudices prejudices from other kind of larger things as well but and we do need to save them so um save these cultures it would be really kind of cool for me to kind of delve more into those the smaller ones and things like that but we need to kind of definitely look at these things but yeah also i'm just reading down here definitely their foods all the noms that that, that, there's so many nice foods in china from the different cultures and things and the different regions but yeah so anyway within um chinese mythology let's look at some of the, the the kind of overarching main views that kind of appear so obviously we have the zodiac signs uh, and the animals creating uh, all having that argument on the riverbank going who's the best swimmer and they all kind of decide to have a bit of a race and swim across the thing and therefore you've got the, the snake is one of those the ox and the rat chicken cockerel chicken pig and all that kind of stuff trying to race across the river uh, that's well known so we won't look at that but then we've also got newer um, I apologize about pronunciations for some of these names here. I don't have a great knowledge of how to pronounce Chinese, so whether it's Mandarin, Cantonese, or one of the other million subsets of the language. So yeah, you've got Nuwa, the goddess uh, and sister wife to Fuji, uh, who is the emperor god. Not the god emperor of mankind, but the emperor god. 
so do be careful on that one. But yeah, um, Nua is sometimes depicted with the body of a serpent and the head of a woman. And she is seen as the person who created humanity. Um, she was out for a walk one day um, in the woods along a river. Um, and she kind of suddenly became lonely and was just like utterly like, oh, I need someone to keep me company and, 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 and not make me feel lonely. So she went to the to the riverbanks, dug up some clay, and formed some creatures, or formed some not creatures. We're not well. I suppose we are creatures, but for, formed some creatures from clay, gave them life, and that's where humanity came from. She's also uh, kind of well known for mending the pillars of heaven after uh, the gods of fire and water basically annihilated most of heaven and earth, uh, and knocked over a load of the pillars that separated heaven and earth because fire and water they don't mix very well. So there's obviously going to be a bit of oomph there. Um, and then one last bit of info before we move on to it. Uh, snakes, this is kind of, I suppose this is a little bit of folklore. Um, they're seen as one of the great five poisons within Chinese mythology, um, along with scorpions, toads, spiders, and centipedes. All those creepy things that are poisonous. And So yeah, that's kind of a brief overview of some of my own knowledge of snakes and serpents in mythology my own knowledge there's a lot more out there and there's a lot to delve into i could have gone a lot further um, but this is all kind of stuff that i have in my brain anyway and didn't take me long to kind of surface delve the internet to make sure that what i was saying wasn't too much pulled right out of my ass probably some of it is and if anybody out there knows that i've got any of that wrong please do let me know as i probably have so yeah, there you go, that's, that's that bit done. Now we'll get on to the story. A little bit of info on that first, and then the short story. The Tale of Yamata no Orochi. Um, this is basically a story of babies or children being eaten by a serpent. Possibly a hydra? And an exiled god beating up said serpent. The story comes from two of the earliest written Japanese texts, uh, known as the Kojiki and the Nihonshoki, or the Nihongi depending on kind of what source you look at as to the naming of it. Um, and it's believed that it was around long before these two texts were written, in around, in, in the end of like the 7th, beginning of 8th century. So it's a very old story. Both versions of the story are very, very similar, and they have the Shinto god of storms, Susanu, being expelled from heaven for tricking his sister, Amaterasu, the, the sun goddess. The story that I've got here, or the version of the story that I've got here, um, comes from the Kojiki, uh, and there's a couple of there's there's quite a lot of editing in this by me to kind of make it flow and be more story-like and kind of get rid of the really long-ass names that it uses in the translations. And I've literally just translated it into the names of the gods, so you've not got like his august autumn godliness deity of the sun. I don't know, I can't remember what the names are, but yeah. I think there's one one time where I say that because I can't remember the actual god's name. Yeah, there we go. Heaven Shining Great August Deity. There's a lot of that in the translations, and I've tried to put in the real names, but I've forgotten some of them, so I didn't. <laughs> I apologise. So if anybody knows them, let me know again, and uh, slap me for forgetting things. Uh, on with the story. After being expelled from heaven, Susano descended to the place known as Torikami at the head of the river He in the land of Izumo, now known as Hikawa in Izumi-shi, or Izumi province. Um, Hikawa, so there's a slight difference there. It's, uh, in the original story, it's Hi, so H-I, 
and it's now known as HII uh, River, so He Kawa, Kawa meaning river. Whilst sat on the banks of the river, he noticed some chopsticks floating down the stream, so Sasano, thinking that there must be people in the area, went in quest of them. After a few minutes, he came upon an old man and an old woman. They held in their arms a young girl, and both were weeping. He deigned to ask, Who are you? So the old man replied, saying, I am an earthly deity, child of the deity Great Mountain Possessor. One of the names I couldn't remember. I am called Tenazuchi. My wife is Ashinazuchi, and my daughter is called by the name of Kushinade Hime. Again he asked, What is the cause of your crying? Tenazuchi answered, saying, I originally had eight young girls as daughters, but the eightfold serpent of Koshi has come every year and devoured one, and now it is again time to sacrifice our child. Therefore we weep. Susuno then asked them, what is its form like? Tenazuchi answered, saying, Its eyes are like the Akakaguchi. Uh, that translates as kind of roughly a winter cherry. Um, so, kind of like, I'm guessing a deep red colour. It has one body with eight heads and eight tails. And that's kind of where we get our Hydra connection. Lots of heads, lots of tails. On its body grows moss, and other things I can't pronounce. Its body extends over eight valleys and eight hills. Its belly is constantly bloody and inflamed. Then Susano said to the old man, If this is your daughter, will you offer her to me? Tanazuchi replied, saying, With reverence, but I know not your name. Susano replied, saying, I am an elder brother to the heaven-shining great august deity. So, I now have descended from heaven. Then Tenazuchi and Asinazuchi said, If that be so, with reverence, we offer her to thee. So Susano at once took and changed Kushinadahime into a multitudinous and close-toothed comb, which he then stuck into his hair and said to the earthly deities, right, uh, this, this next bit has been completely rewritten because when you read it, it's oddly worded and makes you kind of think of many different things, and so I had to rewrite it to make it sound kind of right. I need you to make a large fence with eight gates, and on each gate place a platform, one for each head, and on each platform place some eight-fold refined liqueur, and then we shall wait for the serpent. So as they waited, the eight-forked serpent came, as Tanazuchi had said, it immediately dipped its head into each vat and drank the liquor. Thereupon it was intoxicated with drinking, and all heads lay down and slept. Then Sasano drew his ten grasp sabre and cut the serpent into pieces, so that the river he flowed on and changed into a river of blood. When he cut the middle tail, the edge of his august sword broke. Then, thinking it strange, he thrust it into the flesh and split it with the point of his sword, and there within was a great sword. Sasano took this great sword the sword that was known as the legendary katana, Kusanagi no Tsurugi. Susano eventually took the great sword and offered it to his sister, Amaterasu, and was allowed to re-enter heaven. The sword was then passed down through the generations in the imperial line of Japan, and it is seen as one of the three pieces of imperial regalia, along with the mirror, Yata no Kagami, and the jewel, Yasakani no Magatama. 
Today the sword, which came with Yamata no Orochi's tail, is said to be safeguarded in the Atsuta Shrine in Nagoya. So yeah, there you go. Um, that last little bit, not part of the um, Kojiki's original tale, but it's kind of, this is where you, it, it, it's one of the kind of tales where you see the rise of these three main pieces that kind of denote the imperial lineage of the emperors of Japan. Um, so you've got the mirror and you've got the jewel and the sword as well. So yeah, cool. Um, again, it's kind of, it's not a creation myth, but it's a myth that relates a snake or serpent to quite a powerful lineage the, um, and kind of not so much creation but creation of an of, of of an emperor i suppose kind of i don't know i'm just rambling now because yeah anyway so yeah that's it for this episode i hope you enjoyed it um please do like and subscribe and follow me on spotify and apple and all that kind of malarkey rate and leave comments on apple and share it around on all the social medias um as it's the best way to promote it um so please do let me know what you think. Um, we're starting to pick up listeners now. Um, I hit the 200 download mark a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of days ago. So that was all big and new and kind of yay. I've done something cool here, and that people are listening. Makes it about 20 people listening per episode. So woo. But yeah, you can find me over on Twitter at the Drunken Store One. Uh, you can find me on Facebook as the Drunken Storyteller. You can email me uh, at thedrunkenstorytelleruk at gmail.com where you can send me suggestions on topics and stories to cover. Again, all links and things will be down in the description. You can also find me over on my other podcast over at Darker Days of Radio where we talk about horror-themed RPGs. Um, And I'm running an Enemy Within campaign over on Gehenna Gaming on their Twitch channel which eventually, occasionally gets uploaded to YouTube. And I've got some other things in the work with um, some other games and stuff over there as well. So, well... The drink has run dry because it's hot and I'm kind of suffering from maybe a little bit of heat exhaustion. Four hours riding a bike in the sun is probably not the wisest idea. Um, So all that is left for me to say is thank you and goodbye my friends.